Hello, this is William. And I'm Jake, and it's time to tune into the world. So today, we are going to do a year-in-review podcast uh, in which we discuss the most significant events of 2016 and how they will affect us moving forward into 2017. So William, why don't you start us off? Right. I think the first topic, well, one of many topics to discuss was sort of the first, in a sense, one of the first sort of global shocks we had this year. There were a couple, obviously, one being the election. But this one, this one would be Brexit. Uh, I roughly predicted it would happen. Most people didn't. It was a shock to the system. It was the first time that, in a sense, the old order, the globalization really took a hit. It was the first time where the establishment really lost the you know and it was momentous no country had ever had even contemplated i mean greece had thought about leaving italy perhaps but no country had ever actually left had ever and it was a it was a totally new world because britain the the leave campaigners a didn't think they were going to win and b had absolutely no plan as to what would happen if they did win on the European side, the Europeans discounted the fact they were going to leave, and they now are scrambling for a plan of what to do. You know, do they try and force Britain to, to, to trigger the referendum before the elections in France and Germany? You know, what is their plan? Are they going to try and be harsh and, and really try and sort of bust Britain's balls? But, you know, we don't know. And also, Brexit was the first wake-up call that this at 2016 was going to be sort of a different year, an, an upset. You know, this is the first time when globalism, these globalized elites, you know, running around the world doing their thing, were taken down. So, but now in terms of 2017, likely, I mean, depending on the High Court ruling, depending on the Supreme Court ruling, which should come out in the next couple of days in the UK, and it's looking like the ruling will go in favour of this of Parliament, and so she will have to pass legislation on Brexit. And if that happens, there will be hysteria, there will be riots, there will be rage. If that happens and Parliament, let's say, blocks this proposed legislation, then there will be massed unhappiness and riots. And I think she might have to call for a snap election. Now, we can all laugh that off and say, oh, well, yeah, but she'll win. But everyone laughed at Trump, and he won. So that's, you know, you've got to be very careful. And I think that perhaps her new strategy might be, well, okay, why don't I wait until to see what happens in France? If Le Pen gets in in April, so we're talking about, it's talking about a month after her, just over a month after her, her planned uh, triggering of Article 50, the EU is all over. That's the whole. That's one, that's the two pillars, and that's one of them gone. That's that's the whole thing done. That a second country to leave, especially a major country like France, Germany, Italy, would seriously undermine the bloc. So that's Brexit. And Brexit, I would say, is, as you said, really set the tone for 2016 as the year of the upset, the year of um, contrarianism the year that people will look back at and think 
that changed the way the world works. And whether that is for the better or for the worse, we don't really know. So the next really major thing that I will touch on was the Trump election and the fact that Donald Trump, a businessman, an outsider, a non-politician, managed to win the highest office in the United States of America. And he did so riding the wave of a populist movement that could be described, something that could be described as a populist movement spreading throughout the earth. Um, And riding a wave of anti-immigration fervor, of protectionism, and it worked for him. And so we've discussed in previous podcasts a lot about Trump and what he has said, but what it means for 2017, January 20th, he's inaugurated, uh, and I know he plans on that first day to repeal a lot of the regulation on business. Um, it's a, it's one of the questions that all presidential candidates are asked, what will you do on the first 100 days in office? And his plan is pretty much to repeal the things that he didn't like from the Obama administration, whether that be executive orders, regu- regulation on businesses, legislation that he kind of disagree disagrees with and he can get a Republican majority in the House and the Senate to uh, repeal the bill or do something else with that, rewrite legislation. Um, but Trump's, Trump's plan in his first year in 2017 will surely include something about repealing and replacing Obamacare, um, addressing energy and... Uh, climate change in a way, but mostly energy and oil and coal and factories in the United States and addressing jobs and immigration thirdly. And so that should be Trump's 2017 uh, in terms of what he's going to do, what he's going to look to do. Maybe the wall gets built. Uh, Who knows? So, William, I think you wanted to touch on terrorism next. That's right. Uh, That's right, terrorism. Terrorism was a theme in 2016. The first sort of glimpse we got about terrorism was the tragic bombing of the Brussels metro. That was, you know, that was, again, this was just after, in November 2015, we had the sort of the cataclysmic Paris attacks with, you know, gunmen roaming the streets, gunning everybody down. And now we had another, a separate incident in Brussels, which, again, shocked the world. That this, that this terrorist group in Syria might be out far away, might be outside of Europe, but they have massive power, funding, and the know-how, it seems, to orchestrate mass casualty terrorist attacks. Again, sadly, we saw that you know, on New Year's Eve, we saw the tragic uh, shooting of a, of a nightclub in Istanbul. There were terrorist attacks right through Turkey, recently in December, and ISIS, although they might be losing ground on the Syrian and Iraq battlefield, they will still continue to project terrorist attacks. I think we're due, we're due the West is, the Europe is, for one more big attack. I, I'm saying something along the lines of a Paris event. Not, certainly more people killed 
than in Berlin, but something a lot larger because I think if they lose, when they lose Mosul, that will be a serious loss for them on the battlefield. It'll really cripple them. The, the only real bastion of, of control they'll have left is Raqqa. And simply put, I think one more terrorist attack. Because the more they lose in the Syrian battlefield, the more they have to attack in the West to gain uh, recruits. And I think the West, especially the UK, is going to have, and well, the whole of Western Europe is going to have a huge problem dealing with these terrorists. Frankly, many, it's so hard to follow this large group of people that it's almost impossible to, to track. Some will fall through the cracks, like that man in Germany. But again, it, it does put to this point that some countries in Europe just have intelligence services that are just simply incompetent. Uh, I, we, the Germans were all, had all, you know, intelligence service had been worked up to be this sort of great functioning machine, and yet they knew about this guy, had him under surveillance, and he committed a atrocity. And the same can be said in the U.S., but, at le- you know, at least in the U.S., they seem to have you know, rectified that or, or, you know, perhaps changed a few procedural things. But terrorism is back, and it's going to be back in 2017. I think it'll be just as brutal, if not more. And I think perhaps we won't get as we won't get too many attacks in Europe. We're going to get we're certainly going to get one more. And I expect the majority of ISIS's terrorist attacks to be within reach. Uh, Turkey being one, Iraq, Baghdad, perhaps even dare I say some of the Gulf Emirates. They've sort of been under a cloud of mystery this whole time. You know, what are ISIS's plans? Do they plan perhaps to fly a plane into the Burj Al Khalifa? You know, what what are they planning? I think a potential strike could be in the Gulf Emirates. And that's what I have to say on terrorism. And so we'll move from terrorism to the U.S.'s two major other players on a global stage, Russia and China. So China this year came under some criticism. Uh, First of all, its economy has been not growing as fast as it has in the past. And so that has caused some worry amongst the Chinese, uh, especially due to the fact that in terms of total GDP, they are just behind the United States, but in terms of GDP per capita, they lag well behind. And there, there are a lot of internal problems in China that you know, they, they have to deal with before they can really get to external conflicts. But they did make ch- time to uh, build some islands in the South China Sea. And that wasn't really well liked amongst a lot of countries because it was seen as their uh, a sort of territorial um, staking to to that South China Sea, to those very important shipping routes that they have there. Um, and, of course, there were, there were some international rulings that they, they couldn't do what they were doing. But I think, in all honesty, China will do what it wants. And there's not much the United States can really do, or even internationally, that anyone can do, anything that anyone can do, uh, to prevent China from getting its own way in some senses. So it will be fascinating to see whether they 
continued to try to stake territorial claims in other places. Trump, I just want to get back to this. Uh, I'm not sure if we mentioned this in a previous podcast, but Trump called the president or the leader of Taiwan uh, a territory that China considers to be its own, but Taiwan considers to be independent. Um, And so the United States has never formally recognized Taiwan for fear of jeopardizing relationships with China. Yet Trump, right after he was elected, called the president of Taiwan. Apparently they had some sort of conversation. And so that is uh, is an interesting and maybe alarming development in terms of where U.S.-China relations will go under Trump. Uh, And just moving on to Russia, which William would, I'm sure, talk about in greater depth, uh, while our relationship with China may suffer a little bit under Trump, the relationship with Russia should certainly benefit. Given that Trump chose Rex Tillerson as Secretary of State, who has strong ties to Putin himself and also to Russia as a country, um, a pick that I have expressed concern with, given the strong ties to Russia and the fact that he doesn't really seem to have too much expertise in other categories. Uh, But that's who Trump chose, so that's who he'll get if he's confirmed by the Senate. Uh, And Trump himself is said to be liked by Putin as we come on the heels of the U.S. expelling 35 Russian diplomats and ambassadors from the United States. So U.S.-Russia relations should see an improvement in 2017, even if U.S.-China relations take a dip. I think that's right. But again, as you just mentioned, U.S.-Russia relations have hit all-time low. We've had dip- we're having diplomats being expelled, having a new round of sanctions being put out, and I'm sure there's some cyber espionage or some cyber retaliation against the Russians for something. It is now impossible to transfer dollars out of Russia. The, tre- the Treasury Department has really shut that down. And we're coming to the point where we're getting ever closer to, I don't want to say it, but a war. Uh, and I think, you know... Russia's operation in Syria, which they have shown clear tenacity that they were willing to, to you know, risk the lives of their troops, their own troops, to, to keep Assad in power and to keep their interests alive in that region. And they, and we have got to accept that because if the same sort of event had happened to Israel, I'm almost certain uh, with Trump as president, we would be sending troops in or we would be sending aid. So again, it goes both ways. But I think we also have to accept that Ukraine, I think NATO has done a very poor job responding to Russia. You have Russian planes flying over Estonia and U.S. planes just, uh, just you know, they're just, they're just, there's, com- there's blatant violations of international law and NATO has done, has done nothing to stop, to stop it. And so I think perhaps a new strategy needs to be taken. If Russia's going to play uh, sort of tag, you're it. And they're going to try and hide and, and just sort of poke at the West. I think perhaps this might sound quite radical, but what if Trump was able to reintegrate Russia into the, the world, bring more economic growth to it, bring more liberal 
Paula season, perhaps, with the, with the growth. Let Western ideas come into Russia. Let Western, you know, social media and all this come into Russia. Let all that happen. And perhaps, in the long run, Russians might even begin to question Putin's rule or question, you know, authoritarian rule. Moreover, Russia is in decline. Their population has stopped growing or it's growing very slowly. It's, de- it's in decline. And I think... Putting this into perspective for 2017, I think we're going to see a more aggressive Russia, but yet a more aggressive Russia on one front, on the cyber front, but on the military and the geopolitical front, I think it's going to be, in a sense, relations are going to be at an all-time high between the U.S. and Russia. We, perhaps Trump or Rex Tillerson is able to work out a deal in Syria, where by perhaps the U.S. doesn't do anything in Syria. It just lets the Russians and the and Assad click, finish the war while the U.S. takes care of ISIS. Or perhaps Russia and the U.S. you know, form a combined task force to fight ISIS. Who knows? Bottom line is, Russia, Russian relationship, Russian relations with the U.S. Uh, will improve. They will get better. And hopefully, if Trump in, in does pursue this long-term policy of reintegration with Russia, Russia could even become an ally, dare I say it. All right, well, I will... Um, we will be talking about Syria, but first, you mentioned Israel, and I wanted to just mention that before we go on. Um, recently, there was a UN resolution that was passed uh, that basically said that Israel should not be settling, uh, sending settlers into the West Bank and into certain, you know, disputed areas, Israel, Palestine, holy areas. Um, and the, this passed because the U.S. abstained from uh, their vote, and so they didn't reject this, and they didn't veto the resolution which was widely called for by Israel itself, by Trump, uh, and by pro-Israel supporters. So it shows just a slight shift, at least from Obama, uh, against Israeli is uh, against Israeli aggression in a way, if if we call it that. Um, but it, but. It shows less support from Israel, which I expect to change under Trump as he's uh, exhibited a great deal of uh, respect for Israel, but also a great deal of wanting to maintain them as a very strong ally in the middle of a very contentious area. Uh, So I will now, we will now transition to Syria, which will be our last topic in this year of review podcast. And Syria and the migrant crisis were really now have been sort of overlooked by the, uh, you know, the people that just see the Trump election as the only big thing this year. But the migrant crisis really affected Europe and really affected the Middle East as well. And Syria is just such a mess because you have, essentially, you have ISIS and you have rebel forces and you have government forces all controlling area in Syria uh, and there's a there's a murky alliance system uh, that that is is complicated but certainly understandable. Um, but unfortunately, what has happened is that there is no side that anyone really wants to support 
because the Assad government in Syria has committed human rights violations and all sorts of terrible incidences, um, incidents. But at the same time, ISIS itself is a terror group and threatens all the Western values we really sort of care for, at least in the United States, in the United Kingdom, and other countries that think the same way. So, the, you know, the rebel groups haven't really shown to be too much better either. So there's serious kind of a lose situation no matter how anything happens. Uh, but And at the same time, it created this migrant crisis, which has, I think, in a lot of ways spurred the populist anti-immigration movement that has swept the United States, the United Kingdom, and maybe we'll see about France later this year. I think that's right. I think Syria is certainly an interconnected web of alliances, and it's so complicated. For example, we support the Kurds who are fighting against ISIS, but the Kurds are also being used by the Assad regime to help you know, fight against the, the Syrian rebels. We support the Syrian rebels, but some of the Syrian rebels are actually members of Jabahat al-Nusra, the al-Qaeda-affiliated group in Syria. So it's all interconnected. And Obama had a chance, and I've said this so many times on this podcast, if you do listen every week, which I don't know what people do, but if you do, you've heard me say this every single week. Obama had a chance in 2013, he had two chances, to intervene and to stop this war. He had a chance, but he did nothing. And this civil war was that to get out of control, and it caused major problems. Moreover, the ineptness of Western governments to deal with the migrant, pri- in mi- migrant crisis and terrorism in any sort of organized fashion has become evident. It is simply mind-blowing how the West is so inept at dealing with, with ISIS and with the migrants that it's, it's scary. This is the same coalition, very nearly the same coalition of countries that, you know, is in NATO. So they can't work together to solve a, a, a you know, a problem dealing with migrants and, and Syria and terrorism. How are they going to deal with Russian aggression? How are they going to deal with the faltering euro? So it really does show major flaws in Western alliances and and, and in Western Europe. So 2016 might have been a sad year, or you know, a little bit more disturbing than than most. Obviously, with the the most disturbing moment of the year has to go to the fall of the Aleppo. I know we shouldn't be celebrating this, but has to go to the fall of Aleppo. That was a real travesty. How the Western world quite literally put on CNN and sat there and watched. And did nothing. And that will go down. That will go down probably in the next 10, 20 years as one of the greatest foreign policy mistakes in U.S. history and in the world history, it won't be as severe as Ro- it, it will. Be, it will be more severe than Rwanda because at least it, this this particular incident was a genocide. It was a genocide by a maniacal dictator who was fueled by power, and he committed it against his own people. I think that's you know that was quite a sad moment. Moving on, 2017, our hopes. Are up and down. You know, we, terrorism is going to be back. It's going to be probably even stronger than 2016. But on the plus side, we have a we have a potentially a new start 
for Britain outside the EU. We have a new president. You know, it's to be, for once, we have a united uh, states. We have a, you know, a, a Republican Congress, Senate, and president. So Trump will get a lot of things done. Whether they're good or bad, we'll have to wait and see. It's been quite a year. It's been a lot of twists and turns. And I think that is where we will leave our year in review podcast. Yes, and we'll leave it there. And as I said, 2016 will be remembered as the year of the upset. Uh, And to top it off, the Chicago Cubs won the World Series. Thanks for listening.